0: Hey teachers and Pilates lovers, welcome to the Thinking Pilates podcast where we're having rich and sometimes way out there conversations about the Pilates mindset, movement practice and how it just might help us be better humans and of course this beautiful thing called teaching. I'm Chantel Lopez, I'm the founder and the ringleader of this delightful circus and I'm joined by my wonderful co hosts, James Crater and Deborah Colway. The Thinking Pilates podcast is not only a passion project, but a critical platform for sharing and having open discussions about movement and teaching. A quick note and warning before we get started that in our enthusiasm, we have definitely been known to use a naughty word or two. And we hope you'll love all the words in between too much to care. So without further ado, let's see what we're up to in this episode. Well, everybody, it is episode 56, and we are getting very close to the end of season two. On the show today, James and I are interviewing Chandler Stevens. Chandler is a somatic coach. He is also the founder of the website and podcast EcoSomatics. And James and I found him on Instagram at Chandler the Mover, and he is just right up our alley. And I think the conversation does a lot to tie in a bunch of different threads we've been carrying this season. So I really feel confident that you guys are going to dig it. And we are a little goofy. James and I were coming off a, a two-day uh, private training with Wendy LeBlanc Arbuckle, and we're hanging out in Asheville and on our way to do some filming with Fusion and we're just a little, how would I say, kind of high (laughs) and we get a little goofy and we laugh even more than usual. Before we jump into the episode, I'm going to just mix things up a tiny bit because I want you to hear about our podcast sponsor, Momentum Fest, and the reason is because the clock is now ticking. And we're getting very, very close to the moment. We want to make sure that you are all in the loop around this awesome event that is coming up very, very, very soon, June 22nd through 24th, Momentum Fest. Momentum Fest is a celebration of movement and Pilates. It's happening at the Omni Interlochen Hotel and Resort just outside of Denver in Broomfield, Colorado. And... There are tickets left, and if you are looking for something super fun and sweet and community building and you are kind of in a place where you're done listening to and having the conversation about what's right and what's wrong in Pilates or in movement, if you feel exhausted by the conversation about the differences even between classical and contemporary, and you're wanting to just lay all of that down and put it all aside and just celebrate Having a body and being able to move and the joy that that creates, Momentum Fest is your jam for sure. I know a bunch of us from Northern California are going to be headed that way. It is going to be a sweet and delightful party of movement geeks. You can find out all of the information at MomentumFest.com. As I said, tickets are still available, lots of classes, so many different options, uh, a lot, just a nice range of uh, fun movement exploration. Of course, our very own James Crater will be there teaching with Anula Myberg and Trina Altman, Jessica Volant, who is the founder of Momentum Fest, will also be teaching along with uh, a whole host of other teachers. So, I mean, three days of movement, mm-hmm. I don't know, it doesn't seem like a very hard decision to make. So check it out we really want to encourage you to come out and just have fun and restore your faith and your love for movement and the movement community um, and lift lift each other up and be lifted I mean you know what's better than that So again momentumfest.com is where you get all of the information and you can grab your tickets I'm going to be there I'm road tripping with my kids to Colorado from California and I cannot wait So if you're there, you get to get to hang out with me. (laughs) Maybe that's a bonus. Maybe not. Um, it's just going to be a delightful, delightful endeavor. Super loose, super awesome. And now we will finally get the show on the road. Appreciate all of your kind attention. And here we go. Let's meet Chandler. Well, hello, everybody. We uh, are back with the Thinking Pilates podcast. I almost forgot the name of our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're in in a very um, slightly disorienting uh, moment in time and space. James and I are in Asheville, North Carolina. We just did a lovely two-day retreat study with Wendy, and now we are sitting in our little apartment talking to somebody who we're both really excited to be speaking with, Chandler Stevens. How's it going?
1: Good, good. Good. I'm really glad to be talking with you as well.
0: Yeah, so Chandler the Mover on Instagram. Chandler is (laughs) uh, Coach Chandler on Skype. It's uh, it's, (laughs) it's fascinating, isn't it, all the different names we have. Um, uh, Chandler is the founder of Ecosomatics, uh, and we'll dive more into that in in a little bit. But we... um, He's a fellow movement geek, and um, and we yeah. love we love that, and so much more, which we're excited to learn about. So, welcome and thanks again for for making this work. Um, and my pleasure. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's thrilling to have you. As, I'm a, a
1: multifaceted individual, Chandler the mover and coach, Chandler, and that's right.
0: <laughs> and according to Instagram, you're a public figure. You're a coach. Uh, you're a yeah. <laughs>
2: And, you know, and, and I, if
0: anyone's I'm glad looked.
1: Instagram finally got that right.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: Public figure. And I think it probably has a little more to do with your mustache, too, right? I mean, like, oh, is, it that, is. Ever is that since officially? I
0: started the, the curl. Yeah, I mean, the world has just opened up. Like, <laughs> darn. I really wish I had that opportunity available to me, but <laughs> thank goodness I don't. <laughs> uh, well, let's, uh, let's, let's get started. Tell us. About who you are, Chandler, what do you do? Who who, who are you? Like, if somebody, if you who met somebody, you? if you met somebody on the street or at the grocery store and you got to chatting, like, what do you say you do? What do you tell people?
1: You know, it, it varies depending on, like, how wily I'm feeling on a given day. Um, <laughs> you know, if I'm particularly wily, I just tell people I'm trying to start a cult.
3: <laughs> yeah. ends
1: the conversation pretty quickly. Yeah.
3: <laughs> um,
1: if, you know, I've got time and sleep and coffee, then I'm a little more inclined to dive in. Uh, luckily, I've got those, so we're in good shape. <laughs> but, um, you know, I I work with a combination of uh, movement coaching and, you know, what broadly falls under the life coaching kind of bucket. Mm-hmm. Uh, since the people listening are a little more well-versed in these kind of things, i I feel comfortable throwing around some words, but I work with embodiment and I work with uh, deep ecology and I'm particularly interested in the intersection of those two worlds of study. So I'm, you know, kind of looking at how do we heal the rift between what is broadly like mind-body dualism and Mm -hmm. what's broadly human nature dualism. Mm -hmm. Um, And I look at those kind of as two facets of the same broader disconnect. So really what I'm working with uh, what I'm working with a person is how do we help them find just more sense of wholeness in themselves. And that does, you know, come through movement practice, it comes through uh, conversation, comes through self-inquiry. So that's, in a general nutshell, kind of what I do.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So you have done a lot of things and you have been through some different iterations Um, you know on your journey yeah from from what James and I have been able to gather and what you share on your website uh, Ecosomatics you know you came from uh, the environmental protection world um, and and you had a couple of breakthrough moments would you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are now totally yeah
1: Um, so My entire life, I've been kind of a science-y guy. Uh, Like in kindergarten, I remember, and my family has reinforced this memory, uh, I told my grandma that I wanted to be an entomologist when I grew up, (laughs) Uh, which, I mean, for people that aren't total nerds, is someone who studies bugs. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in high school, I took summer classes through Ohio State University in like entomology. So I actually spent my summer like collecting bugs and doing like stream sampling. So a weird <laughs> kid. Um, but I, you know, I kind of followed that environmental and, and science orientation through undergraduate. And I studied kind of a self-design major in environmental science and epidemiology. Uh, I was particularly interested at the time in basically how environmental factors can contribute to uh, disease outbreaks, particularly uh, insect-borne disease. Mm. And I was looking, actually, at a a PhD program in that, and Mm. luckily I didn't. Well, maybe not luckily. I don't know. Who knows how that would have turned out. But (laughs) uh, after undergraduate, I ended up working in a research microbiology lab at the Environmental Protection Agency. It just—I mean—it seemed like the culmination of everything that I was born to do, mm. and it turns out it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, government work was really just soul-sucking. I mean, the the bureaucracy, the red tape, and just kind of the the disenchantment that that bred among everyone I was surrounded with day to day. So you know, I've always been like an environmental kind of guy, and and. Cincinnati office in particular is like the head of water quality for the country. Like that's the water hub. And safe to say, I you know, I assume we should probably give a shit about water. But <laughs> uh <a> reasonable assumption. <laughs> yeah, 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 Reasonable kind of assumption, yeah. Uh but you know, around the time we had all this kind of fracking fracas in West Virginia, uh we had like a spill that we were tracking coming along the Ohio river and it was, you know, a couple of days out from where we were and someone had, it was talking to my supervisor and I overheard them say like, well, what's the plan when it gets here? And my supervisor, you know, kind of joked and said like, Oh, we're going to close off our intake valves and it'll be someone else's problem. And I like joking or not. I thought that was like, uh, it, it just rubbed me the wrong way in all sorts of ways. Yeah. So I just kind of quit. And (laughs) uh, yeah, I, you know, leapt and opened up a studio I had previously, like prior to quitting, I had done, uh, um, kind of a weekend training with MoveNet. Uh, I had done, I had just started a bones for life training program Mm -hmm. and I think I had done like some functional movement systems work by then too, Mm -hmm. but I didn't have any clients or anything like that. So I just kind of quit and leapt and signed on for a studio that I couldn't afford to keep open and yet somehow did. And, you know, since then, I mean, the, the flavor of the work has taken on some variations as you noted in your research. It's like, it was very natural movement focused at the start. Mm-hmm. I got very into somatic education. Uh, that led me into more kind of self-development work. And at this point it's looking at how those all kind of blend and weave together.
0: Mm-hmm. And so would you say that is what ecosomatics
1: is? Yeah, I would say when I say the word ecosomatics, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, Although even as I've, you know, dug in and and started into that world, I realized like I'm not the first person to use the word, obviously. Um, Although it's, you know, from what I've looked at, there's not like a, a real solid definition of what that practice might be. Mm -hmm. But in all of the various manifestations of it across space and time, like it's something to do with the fact that we are inextricably a part of the natural world. And it's something to do with, we're not just a bag of meat moving around. Um, So I, you know, I even have a hard time saying I'm like the founder of it, but it's like, I'm, I'm trying my best to, articulate that practice at this point so that we can have something a little more something that we can sink our teeth into a bit more.
2: Mm -hmm. So uh, with that, then what does eco somatics mean to you on a personal level? Mm. Uh, It's,
1: I guess it's broadly an, an exploration of what's the right way of being in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, something about that inevitably involves a movement practice uh, because that's, that's how life works. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: And something about that involves some element of self inquiry and introspection because you're, you're going to live your whole damn life as yourself. And it's helpful to know a bit about yourself if you're going to do that. Uh, Mm (laughs) Um, something about that seems to involve a a practice of connecting to the natural world too, because again, you, you come from that and you operate pretty much the same way as the rest of it. And so it's, you know, I, for Mm -hmm. me, it, it, it veers toward a spiritual practice and Mm -hmm. yet I, I don't think that's what it is, but I think that just for me personally is what clicks, um, just like a deep identification with the natural world mm. and myself as a part of it.
3: Mm.
0: Will you say something uh, uh, to go back for just a moment about what <clears throat> what it means to you or feels like to you to you said um, something about the right way to be in the world like what is the what's uh. the expression of that? Because it's variable,
1: you know, yeah. obviously. Yeah. You know, I... Th- you're right, that's a tricky phrase. I don't know why that popped up for me, but I I think it's something along the lines of, of stewardship, which we would know from, again, the, the ecological environmental world as uh, doing what you can to make things just a little bit better mm-hmm. around
3: you, mm-hmm.
1: And so I... I try to apply that to all the the kind of spheres of influence. It's like, what can I do for myself right now to make myself a little bit better?
3: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: Maybe that's taking time to be just still. Maybe that's taking time to articulate my joints. Maybe that's time to read this book that I'm particularly curious about or give myself time to actually enjoy this cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. Um, rippling out from there. What can I do to make my immediate surroundings a little bit better? Uh, I could tidy up some of these damn papers that I've got scattered everywhere. <laughs> I could sweep the floor. I could hang up some of this artwork. that's just sitting in the corner.
3: Mm. Um,
1: what can I do for my relationships to make them just a little bit better? I could put my phone down and actually be present with the person I'm with. I could go out of my way to try and do something nice for someone. I could, you know, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. It's like, I look at it this way. Things, if left to their own devices, probably decay. Like in, in the, the kind of physics lens, it would be like mm. entropy increases, disorder sure, increases. Mm-hmm. My house falls apart if I don't tend to it. Um, so I think there, there's a bit of deliberate intention we need to bring to ourselves and our relationships and our our way of being uh, in order to make them
0: better. Mm. No, it's really perfect. And it makes me think, uh, I mean, I love the word stewardship and I, it's interesting, you know, it seems appropriate that it would be the word that you would choose given your background. It's not a word I would Mm. think to use, but I, I think it really does. Um, it's powerful. It also makes me think of the idea of relativity, right? That, that everything is relative and we don't see, we, it's like you, you lose sight of the thing unless you are seeing change. And so either positive or negative change, right? But that your, mm-hmm. your life, we hope, mm. is one of positive, tiny, consistent, positive, like increasingly good change, And it makes it makes me think of that, and just really frames it in a lovely way. I think, given like the work that James and I do, and the conversations that we're often having, um, it's so simple, like just just to find a tiny way to improve. You know what you're what you're saying. All the different realms of of one's being. Yeah, it's
2: lovely. Yeah, and it also brings up the idea of of um, consistency and the idea of just being uh, of a being present with it instead of uh, a, a large goal, um, uh, and and an end goal. You know, it's this is a continual thing, and after I'm gone, this is a continual thing for whatever comes after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, and you know, I think James, you bring up a really good point there, where like the big goals can seem, I mean, just devastatingly complex. Yeah. Like we look at climate change and yeah. social justice and like food accessibility and clean water and like all of these massive global kind of looming crises. And it's like, I I really do think that a, a practice is like, it doesn't have to be mine shit, but some practice like this, is the only way to free up the creative potential of our species. Cause I mean, we're, we're something else in, I mean, compared to the rest of the world, we've got this unparalleled capacity to, to shape things mm-hmm. and to, to change things. And, you know, I think some element of, of a movement practice, of an inquiry practice of awareness, like a, a stewardship practice, that's, that's our best hope. For, for coming out okay on the other side of some of these things.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that brings up, uh, you know, as, as we were looking through your material last night, um, I came across a, a post of yours somewhere that said empathy being greater than intelligence and mm. uh, overcoming the need to be seen as an expert. And that's to me, like this, this mini <laughs> conversation within our larger conversation is a, is a clear example of that. Can you go into that a little bit about what, uh, from your viewpoint, what what do you mean by that? What do you hope people take away from empathy being greater than intelligence?
1: Well, you know, I think the clearest way I could answer that is just a story of my own experience with it. Um, so as I mentioned, I was very kind of science-minded growing up, and an academic kind of performance was ostensibly like the measure that. I had worth in the world, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. just kind of the, the familial burden. Like my family was great. They loved me, but like academic performance was the thing.
2: Yeah. That's how you valid, how you were validated. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, and
1: that kind of cast a bit of a shadow because I, you know, at a certain point it's like, I forgot how to connect with people in a, in actual way, in a worthwhile way. Um, so I got pretty depressed sometime in, in college and it, it lingered afterwards. And, uh, again, I mean, you know, academics is the stuff that I was just kind of good at. And so, you know, I capitalized on that and yet something was just kind of broken about the way I felt in the world. Um, so as I got into some of the somatic work, it, I mean, things started to change and I got awareness of like, huh, there's a, There's something about myself that I don't quite feel comfortable with. And, you know, that led me into a period working with a gestalt psychotherapist Mm. at the recommendation of a a mentor of mine. And, you know, something came up within that. And the image that came up through the work was Superman in the Fortress of Solitude, right? (laughs)
3: Like...
1: He's Superman and he can do all of this stuff and everyone loves him. And yet he lives alone in a castle made of ice. And Mm -hmm. like, that's a stark image if you let yourself sit with that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it, it just became more and more apparent to me that like, God, like you, you don't have to pretend that you know everything and you don't have to pretend that everything is always okay. You don't have to pretend that you are this unshakable, infallible expert. Because I think I, I kind of glommed onto that as the comfortable way of being mm-hmm. until it caused more and more problems. Um, but God, when I got into this, I mean, the, the psychological work, like life really opened up, uh, especially when I could relate it back to the somatic practice. It's yeah. like, I learned so much about just like the, the richness and the kind of quality that life could have that I was just missing out on. Uh, and so I, you know, at this point I really do think that like relationship is the fundamental unit of existence. And it's like, man, if you can't tune into the quality of a relationship, oof, what, <laughs> like what do you have at that
3: point?
2: Yeah. So, this is a conversation, you know, uh, that that comes up a lot around um, around teaching and in you know, explicitly teaching movement. And especially in uh, the Pilates world, where uh, the idea that I have to know everything and I have to be the expert, and people are paying me X amount of money to teach them, fill in the blank. And if I don't do that, I failed at my job, Mm -hmm. um, runs, (laughs) runs rampant. And, uh, you know, I see it throughout the fitness world, um, and explicitly in Pilates. So I'm wondering how does that, how does this idea of, of empathy being greater than intelligence influence you as a coach? Like what, uh, when you're working with someone either in a group or one-on-one, how does that infiltrate how you interact with them?
1: Mm, I, yeah, that's that makes a lot of sense. I, I click with a lot of that. Um, you know, I think perpetually in this space, we as professionals, it's easy for us to buy into the idea that the next certification will have the answer. The <laughs> <or, laughs>
2: Huh? The next huh? book will show the way
1: <laughs> yeah. in
2: all of this. It, it doesn't Chandler. That's not a thing.
1: You just haven't gotten to the right one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and you have some recommendations.
1: Yeah. Right? Shit, shit, I'm, shit. I'm writing that one. <laughs> okay, good.
2: Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to buy a, a forward copy there.
1: <laughs> but I, you know, it's, it's really important for us to keep in mind. Like we've got to check ourselves. Like it doesn't, count for shit what we know if we can't communicate that to the person in front of us truly Um, you know you bring up the fitness world and that's a a really good tie in people ask me a lot about like what's the best way of programming
3: like
0: Mm
1: -hmm. movement practice exercise whatever mobility training it's like whatever the hell way that person's going to do right like (laughs) you can write the best damn program in the world and it doesn't count for anything if the person doesn't want to do it like so I think that that's the big thing that's really shifted about the way that I work, at least, um, is really getting clear on on what it's like to be that person in the world. What are they interested in? What are they pulled to? Let's see if we can make that the foundation of whatever practices we're doing, and tie in the other things to that. Mm. Um, you know, I was working with I just started working with a woman recently in in Saudi,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and you know she was just let's say broadly overwhelmed by movement practice wasn't sure what direction to go in. and we went through a little assessment and we had like a conversation I said well great so what stood out to you from the assessment she's like well I'm really curious to hear like what you thought about this this and this like my, the shoulder and this and that and I was like well there's some stuff we could talk about but like did you learn about yourself going through those movements and like what revealed itself as something you're interested in? And she's like, well, you know, it was interesting going through some of the sensory stuff. Like I realized I really want to learn how to climb a tree. And I was like, great. Conveniently enough, that will fix a lot of the shoulder things that came up too. like, Mm -hmm. let's not worry about the exercises that I know. Mm
3: -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: Let's go with what your organism is pulled to engage in. Like, shoot let's not try to like divert that flow of of energy or of interest or whatever it's like let's figure out what you're into and build a practice around
0: that it reminds me i mean it just uh, threads back i think to the idea of stewardship right and how how does one become a steward of one's own life (laughs) you know it's like you, we're talking about if people don't do it or they don't want to do it or they're doing it under duress or because somebody told them they should or had to. You know, people come to us as movement professionals with all kinds of um, motivators that are not their own, right? And most people are not aware of that at all. And yet, when we can get, I find like to relate it to the expert piece too, that when we can get out of the way, as needing to know and be like you know the the advisory board for somebody's physical success and happiness, um, and just show up for them and listen <clears throat> and help them to listen to themselves. That tiny spark of like, oh yeah, that's I'm drawn to this seemingly uh, ridiculous thing that I'm a little embarrassed slash shy to talk about, but. It's what makes my heart go pit a pat, and like if we can if we can connect into that, whether we're in the Pilates studio or the yoga studio, or we're out in the woods or whatever we're doing, to me that's it's the spark, right? That that changes begins to change the whole person, and Mm -hmm. you know this is something. That we're talking a lot about, and and I know you have been talking about it in terms of, uh, well, I mean, just the the capacity of your work, right? The scope of your work to work with the whole person and not just the body or not just the psyche. Um, And in, in, in Pilates, we're really curious. I mean, we know... Uh, and and all of us i would say most of us are having conversations that that sound like we know that m- good movement feeling good movement changes a person like changes the person the whole person mm-hmm. you know and we but we're also like a little afraid to address that implicitly mm, right? but i yeah. but i think it's there's this There's this huge area of capacity for us to be more deliberate about that through movement than we are. You know, it's, yeah, um, which just maybe leads me to do you have a question? (laughs) this is is the bad thing about sitting next to james James. (laughs) normally
2: normally we're in our own places doing this and now it just feels like oh
0: yeah you're here and
2: like if you have something to say say it
0: i just looked up at him at just the right moment and 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 his eyebrow was kind of raised and i thought oh he's got something (laughs) lay it on me man
2: (laughs) (laughs) no 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 it just um you know listening listening to what you had to say about um, her body calling to climbing a tree, and listening to what Chantel has to say about paying attention to, and how that can, you know, uh, explicitly change a life. Um, you know, at the very top of 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 your work, you you have coming home to your body, and that's sort of what what rings true for me is that through through this through allowing these through asking questions, through making yourself available, making all of ourselves available, we allow for student-centered teaching. And the possibility that that can uh, bring someone home to their body is just a really interesting concept. Um, and so I'm wondering for you, what what does coming home to your body look like? <clears throat> That's a good question, and I'm,
1: I'm so glad you said student-centered teaching mm-hmm. uh, because one of the guys that I, I dig most is Carl Rogers. Us too.
2: He's on our top, top of, like cool, of cool <laughs> list.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, man. Hmm. So, okay, so coming home to your body. L- you know, we'll work with the assumption that most people that we work with day-to-day um, – you Know probably don't identify with themselves as a body, they mm. you know, mm-hmm. the, the key distinction is one like you do not have a body, you are a body,
3: yeah.
1: Um, so that would be kind of the, the fundamental thing of it of an embodiment practice. Mm-hmm. So, okay, what do we do with that for people that uh, have a difficult time with that? What I've been clicking with more and more lately is something like. Uh, I just call it a, a practice of sensory stories. It's like, hey, think about your favorite smell. Okay, cool. Now tell me a story about a memory, like tell me a story about your favorite smell. Like sometime in your life where like, oh my gosh, I think back to, I was in this, you know, this bog in Vermont for like a field project. And like, we were walking around on just this like carpet of moss and all around. We could smell these like these pines and these firs, and like, Whoa, relating that story, it's like I get into my body in some fundamental way. Yeah. And that seems to be a nice kind of bridge for people to take to say, oh yeah, I noticed that like, huh, I feel better when I talk about my favorite sensory experience.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's like, well, huh, I wonder why that might be. Maybe because your, you know, your sensory experience is how you actually make sense of the world. Um, and it's, I mean, it's a fundamentally physical thing. Like they're, they're visceral sensations when we get into this like juicy sensory stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, you know, I think come home to your body is, is even an interesting phrase because it's like, you just have to, to give yourself permission to make your way back. Like Mm -hmm. I look at, at my job is basically like, let's create the context in which you, you feel uh, open to, to find areas within yourself where you feel particularly comfortable and supported, uh, to to bring awareness to and to reconcile and reintegrate those places where you don't feel comfortable, you don't feel supported. Maybe there's been some traumatic experience in the past. It's like, how do we... How do we hold in mind the entirety of this person that we're working with
3: Mm -hmm.
1: and and create some physical experience for them to reconcile that, oh, even though that's uncomfortable, that's a part of me. That's not something foreign. Uh, Even though that's uncomfortable, it's something that that I could get to know. And that maybe in that getting to know it, it becomes more comfortable. Uh, I think it means something like that.
3: Mm hmm.
2: Mm hmm. So, you know, from following your work, um, I know you have a keen interest in uh, psychology and humanistic studies. And I'm just wondering, uh, do you explicitly, do you explicitly bring that into your work? Or does it just sort of infiltrate your work? Or how have you found um, a way to, to bridge what seems divergent to most people? you know, the mind and the body.
1: Yeah. You know, I think when I got into Carl Rogers stuff, it changed everything. Mm-hmm. Shit. And it, it started yeah. out implicitly, I would say, where yeah. I just started working differently with people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it probably started when I got into the Gestalt work and Fritz Perl's writing and all mm-hmm. of that as well. But, um, you know, I, I made it very explicit at a certain point that, you know, Rogers laid out in the the kind of psychological context and the relationship context that, you know, there are three things that make for helping relationships. We have empathy, we have congruence, mm-hmm. and we have unconditional positive regard.
3: Yeah.
1: And you know, I think I I just got very explicit when I was like hey, you know what else is a relationship? This whole movement coaching thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What happens if we bring what has been demonstrated in objective studies, subjective accounts? Like, what happens if we bring this stuff that we know works from this separate field into this other field? Like, what happens if we actually make a a person-centered movement practice (laughs) uh, where we can let go of the kind of dogmatic bullshit around, like, this is what you need to study and this is how the movement should be done and this is what if we trust that that the organism can regulate itself like what if we have faith (laughs) in something above our objective empirical understanding of movement science what if we trust that like this system is like tinkered over millions of years worth of evolutionary time. Like this is a system that knows how to move mm. if we give it the right conditions yeah. and beyond movement too. Cause I think it's maybe even bigger than that or underneath and throughout that. It's like this system, it knows how to regulate itself emotionally, psychologically, like physically and dynamically. Like this, this idea of homeostasis mm. uh, I mm-hmm. think is so, so critical hmm
0: yeah by the way we're sitting here like kind of giggling I don't know if you can hear us because you you're like it's like oh that's the that's our word that's our word that's our word that's our well, word. and,
2: and <laughs> even to a larger degree so right now for the Pilates community right now we're sitting in Asheville we're literally in probably three or four hours going to film a workshop for a, a fusion education online training thing called Pilates Imperfect that is literally about <laughs> Congruity of character, empathy, self-regulation, self-regulation. homeostasis, vagal <laughs> tone. B- tone, bringing all of that into the Pilates studio environment. So this exact—if you're a Pilates instructor and you're like, "How do I do that?" We're about to teach <laughs> you. To teach you. <laughs> we got you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's so it's so 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 relevant. You know, the. Um, God, I don't even know where to start. You know, like the student-centered teaching, changing the relationship, uh, you know, going back to the idea of shifting out of the over-identification of, uh, I'm the expert, I'm here to fill you up, you do the thing because it's the right thing to do, the right way to do it. You know, it's the, the just the distance that creates. Um, I mean, it's not really a relationship at all, right? It's, it's a dictatorship. And it's just... <clears throat> you know, in you're talking about context, I think, you know, James and I have been talking about uh, and working with, like, how do we change the environmental context, the relational context, but also providing physical context, right, to um, allow the student to be more in touch with this, you know, the the intelligence of their body um, without needing to direct it so much or, you know, this without like needing the overarching goal to be getting it right or having the perfect form or, you know, um, Mm -hmm. it, it just, it's, it's, it's a, it's a really exciting time period. But I think for us in our community of really looking at the willingness for people to shift in the movement coaching, um, you know, perspective, inviting the student to actually participate, you know, more Mm -hmm. fully and just how, how much more rich and, and the value, right. That comes out of that in terms of empowering somebody to know themselves better so that they can be stewards of their own life.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's,
0: it's pretty, uh, it's pretty awesome. I wanted to ask you, I want to go back for a moment to student-centered teaching,
3: mm-hmm.
0: um, and just like, what, what do you find, Chandler, are the things that you do uh, most easily or regularly to kind of evoke this, um, you know, this relational experience between you and the person you're working with?
3: Hmm.
1: You know, I think I'm in a, a bit of a lucky place with that because most of the people that that want to work with me kind of self-select to be a little bit open to this in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, at this point, I think maybe since I got explicit with some of the, the humanistic stuff, it's like, I don't get a whole lot of people who want to be told, told what, what to, to do, do mm-hmm. who come to work with me, mm. um, but I, you know, I do think there are things that we can do to just to facilitate that relationship. Um, and I think we touched on a couple of them before. It's like, okay, what are you pulled to do? What are you interested in? Like, Hey, what is this movement practice? Like, what is it doing for you as a person who like, have you thought about who this is going to help you become? Have you thought about at all? Like who you want to become,
3: um,
1: mm. uh, So that's, I think where my stuff tends to, to almost blend into like life coaching kind Mm -hmm. of space. Although I, I still can't quite digest that at this point, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, I keep usually the first couple of sessions pretty conversational. Um, and especially, I mean, if we're working remotely, like through Skype or something, it's like almost entirely conversation, but it's like, Hey, what's going on in your world? What's the weather like? Like, What's the broader context of your life at this point? Mm -hmm. Um, And I I just try to make it explicit if it hasn't yet that all of these things do in fact tie together. And it's like, hey, this movement practice we're going to go through, it might change some stuff. It might not. I actually can't predict how it will change stuff.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, But we are going to kind of disrupt your conception of you.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: allow something new to
2: emerge from that.
0: Mm. Um, that's that's lovely.
2: Well, yeah, and it also brings up um, you know something that uh, that I discovered from you, and it was a quote. And you said, more and more, you feel like you need to include a warning label on anything you sell, a warning label of this won't be comfortable. And I think uh, you know w- when you hear that, when you hear what you just said, it's often easy to intake it as a linear progression to some positive outcome. Mm -hmm. And to begin to understand that there's a a quantum experience there of, of shifts that go up and down and sort of all over the place. Um, have you found that to be true? How do you handle that? Like when a when a student begins to go, like I've shifted some stuff, and maybe I don't like the outcome.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh shit. Okay. So that's okay. <laughs> sorry. So, no, no. So, uh, I'm re- not re- sorry just, at all. I <laughs> see. Feel free to stop me because this is what I've been thinking about lately. But, no. Go uh, ahead. Go deep. All right. So <laughs> go deep. Okay. Cool. So let's. What's the best way to frame this? Because you can't see what my hands are doing here. So I need to make sure I'm actually saying what they're doing. Um, so you've got this conception of yourself or a conception of anything, because this applies broadly to how, how systems in general organize. Mm-hmm. So let's say that this system encounters something new. And that could be something new uh, within the external environment. That could be a new sensation within the self. Um, that could, could be food. It could be an idea, like whatever it encounters some other that it's perhaps an outlier to this conception of self.
3: Hmm.
1: One of two things can happen. Either we can alienate that thing. And th- that's definitely like a gestalt tinged kind of word. It's like, we can say, nope, that's not me. Um, like if I have, let's say I've had, uh, I'm working with someone who has a frozen shoulder. And we start to bring sensation back. And of course, the first sensation to come back is pain. Yeah. Like,
3: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: duh, that's the loudest. They, they've got one of two choices. They could sit with that process or they could say, nope, I hate this. That hurts. I'm going somewhere else. That yeah. would be kind of the alienation. Yeah. So that's, that's not a growthful response. And yet it makes sense in some cases. So the other response then would be what uh, Fritz Perls would call Assimilation—it's like integration. We we bring that outlier into our conception of ourself. Um, Fundamentally, what happens is we we dissolve, we we destroy that conception of self in order to reintegrate, like to resynthesize those pieces. Um, It's it's a messy process when you change your understanding of yourself within the world. Uh, it changes everything about how you live your life. It changes how you engage in relationships.
3: Mm-hmm. It changes
1: how you carry yourself physically. Um, you know, with, that can get very heady very quickly. So let's anchor it into something physical. Again, like the case of, um, say, chronic pain or, or dealing with a traumatic experience. It's like, the, the image that I love is like, you can break up uh, a doorway to a room you don't like in your house. And yet that's still a part of your house. Only now it's a part of your house that is festering. that is not clean. That has a drip that has mold that has rats and shit in it.
3: Yeah.
1: So (laughs) it's still a part of your damn house. Yeah. And when you knock down those bricks, it's going to smell terrible. It's going to be like revolting on all sorts of sensory levels. And yet, it's still a part of your house. And yeah. if you want to have a whole house and turn that into a pretty little guest room, you got to knock down that wall, and you've got to do the hard work of cleaning it out. Mm-hmm. And of course, you don't like throw yourself in to disgusting rat-filled room and start puking everywhere. Like you, you take small steps. You be good to yourself along the way. And yet, you've. <laughs> You've got to clean out that rat-filled room if you want any sense of wholeness. Because, like, again and again, you'll walk by and you'll see that brick wall, and it's like, huh, there's something there. Weird. Nope. Uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And some people will go their whole—most people will probably go their whole lives with that. Uh, And so, again, to anchor that in the body, it's like, that would be uncomfortable sensations that we come against. Yeah areas that we've dissociated from and numbed ourselves to. It's like that shoulder is still a part of you and not just a part of your body, a part of you. And it can, it can tell you something about yourself. It can tell you something about your history of movement. It can tell you something about, uh, your emotional experience. I mean, your entire, I guess, epigenetic history of existing in the world. Uh, it's rich in information about you relative to the world. If you have the, the kind of care and consideration and context to make that exploration manageable. Because if we just dive into that rat-filled room, it's going to be overwhelming. We're not going to be able to integrate that into ourselves. We'll have no choice but to alienate that. Um, whew. So that's, you know, that's the... F- first little bit that comes to mind, but I, you know, I'll let you guys, let's dig into that some maybe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I just think it's, uh, it's this thing, maybe like taking it from our, uh, our specific context, you know, that one, people don't like to be uncomfortable, um, or they are only willing to be uncomfortable in certain ways, right? They're being, they're willing to be uncomfortable when they experience, um, you know, like, a. Uh, Be fatigue in the muscle, like muscle burn, like, Mm -hmm. Oh, that's uncomfortable, but I'm willing to endure it because it's what's supposed to happen. And it's the way I get a bigger bicep. Um, Mm -hmm. but, but then there are all of these other levels of discomfort, both physically and emotionally. Um, you know, and people get worried and they get freaked out. And I think it's interesting, um, Again, to go back to this, what we were talking about earlier, these, you know, these very small, what I think of as sweet, empathy-based ways of nudging a student toward, like, self-love, right? No matter what is going on, like, change is uncomfortable, whether it's, you know, whether you perceive it as moving towards something positive or moving backward, the, the acknowledgement that change is uncomfortable, um, is important. And then I think from the teacher uh, perspective, it brings up the conversation of, can I facilitate and create, as you said, context for this person to be okay with what's Mm -hmm. uncomfortable in a tiny, small way? Like, it's like, we're not, you know, we're not, we're talking about what's happening right this second. Can you just Can I, as the teacher, facilitate a softening into that shift? Um, And and this is a conversation, I think, that is really powerful for us, the difference uh, and the the dance between training slash coaching versus facilitating it. And, um, you know, it's just... I'm like miss commentary today. I like have no questions. I have, I have, lots, of, I have lots of commentary. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's the coffee. It's Asheville and the
2: coffee. Well, what what came up for me is as you were uh, as you were describing, you know, the felt sense and the human the human bodily experience via uh, a house metaphor um, to a room that is no longer pleasing. Uh, you know. I think we all have that that have or have had that space in our house and you just kind of close the door and dissociate from that you know whether it's the dirty room or the unfinished bathroom or whatever it is and so you dissociate from that you close the door because there's a, a level of of embarrassment or shame around around that space and it's not that it's not that the space is explicitly doing that. It's just your relationship with the space. And mm-hmm. so as you were talking and, you know, I was, I was thinking of, you know, a, a, a knee pathology or a shoulder pathology. And and over time, you know, uh, uh, what we often hear from clients is it's just not, you know, it's the, the rest of me is good. It's just that part yeah. that's not good. My ba- yeah, you know, my, my, bad my, knee. My, my bad knee or my foot or, you know, whatever whatever it is. And so I think for the first time I'm 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 considering that dissociation as you know, through the lens of of embarrassment or shame, mm-hmm. and how do we begin as as um, as teachers as uh, uh, co-creators of of a movement experience to create a space for our clients to uh, just invite themselves back into whatever that bodily space is your bad knee your frozen shoulder your wonky ankle whatever it is by first just being with the embarrassment or the shame and then how do we move how do we move past that without either explicitly naming it as that um or maybe explicitly naming it as that i mean whatever whatever the case may be be via you know a whatever the student is okay with. Um, But it was just a really interesting, like, oh, okay. Like there's a, there's a level of, there's possibly a level of, of shame going on. And that, that comes across as dissociation more than, more than pain being the dissociation.
0: Yeah. And I would say it's resistance. Yeah. Like in general, we could probably classify it as resistance. And, here's a question. (laughs) The question is, so if you're talking to a room full of movement educators, uh, you know, specifically Pilates teachers, what's, what's your advice for working with this? Like we, we ask a a student to do a thing and we get the resistance and, and there's all kinds of ways that that comes up from your perspective, like what's, what's the advice? How do we nudge them, uh, create context, invite them, support them to be with the experience?
1: I think resistance is the right way to, to conceptualize that. And that's, you know, it gives us some insight into maybe how we work with that kind of phenomenon too. I, I, you know, at least from, say, the, the psychoanalytic kind of literature, there may be two main ways of working with resistance. One is like the kind of uh Reichian, like you demolish resistance. It's get, like it's in. Well, so maybe there are three. The kind of Freudian way would be like, oh, we don't talk about resistance because that gets in the way of the analytic process. So let's just ignore it. It's like, well, fruitful. Let's see where that goes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um so then maybe there's the Reichian way, which is like you demolish resistance, and, and Reich was like kind of the forefather of body-oriented psychotherapy. So mm-hmm. I give his stuff a little more; it clicks with me more. Uh, and yet there's something savage about saying, "Let's demolish <laughs> this resistance in the body," because mm-hmm. it's, I mean, shit. It, it that's some facet of the self that's, that's resisting, and you don't mm-hmm. want to just demolish that because then it's like you have one less damn room in your house. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I look at it kind of from the the gestalt lens, which is like that resistance is a part of you and that part of you has something that it's trying to say or some unmet need. Um, you know, some obvious ones would be like support, a sense of safety and security, uh, attention, God, like just paying attention to it. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we've got to keep in mind, like there are all of these parts within ourselves that are engaged in this kind of, I mean, it's almost like a Darwinian conflict to see which one emerges moment to moment. Mm. Um, So when this resistance comes up, when we're working with a client, it's like, okay, some part of them does not like this sense of moving toward being in process. (laughs) I wonder why that might be. And could we talk with that part? And like that's not even a metaphor. Could we actually talk with that part and say, like, huh? If you sit with being your shoulder or whatever is resisting this that we think, it's like, What does your shoulder need? Like, what what is your shoulder telling you? And very often this gets us into kind of a realm of like body metaphor where it's like, what do you sense about your shoulder? And it's like, uh, it's tense. It's like, Oh, okay. What's the quality of that tension? It's like uh, it's holding itself, like it it, it's restraining restraining itself almost. It's like okay, so could we just try on an experiment and say that it's not your shoulder restraining yourself? Could you just say a couple of times like, "I am restraining my shoulder," and it's like, "Huh, okay." And you just kind of sit with what you experience as you say that out loud, and then what happens if you take your poor shoulder out of the equation and say like, I'm restraining myself. Oof. Hmm. What comes up for you then? <laughs> maybe nothing, but maybe something. Uh, so I, you know, I always work with the assumption that that resistance does in fact serve a purpose. Uh, even if it's maybe an outdated purpose, it's like that resistance is it's information. And, mm-hmm. and I, think we owe it to ourselves not to ignore that information Mm
3: -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. so chandler what's your mission as a teacher my mission as a teacher Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, you know when i aim high enough like on good days when i aim high enough i I do think that circles back to the start of of our conversation where I mean, there's almost like this crushing existential need to make things better. Like Mm -hmm. the the stewardship thing is, is big. Um, but it's like, okay, what's possible if we, if we can cultivate this, this ethos of stewardship in people we meet too. And for, for me, it, it really does tie into like, that's our best chance of just making things better for ourselves. Cause like, you know, the world's going to keep going with or without us as a species, but I kind of like us as a species. <laughs> and so I really do think that this work is how we, we engage most effectively in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the most empathetic, like we, we do so with the most care and the most,
2: uh, just use to anything. Shit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) before we start wrapping it up one of my one of my favorite chandler stevens public figure quotes (laughs) is (laughs) uh movement is the vehicle that consciousness uses to interface with the world and i think for me it's uh, it's just it's it's a perfect quote uh, from the work that I've experienced, and especially coming off the weekend we just had with uh, with a mentor, Wendy LeBlanc Arbuckle. But for you, what um, what does that uh, what does that mean for you? Hmm. That is one of those things that
1: sounds really profound. Yeah, <laughs> so super profound. profound. Boy,
0: you are so sound. smart. Yeah. I. <laughs> Thank you. That validates me.
1: <laughs> now, what the hell um, did you mean? No, I'm just kidding. Now what? Now, seriously, break that down for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so, I mean, whatever you are, something about that emerges from your body. Like, yeah. I I don't think there is a you separate from your, your bodily experience. Try as we might. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the past 400 years have kind of shown that you know, the Cartesian model has some serious limitations. Yeah. Um, And so this, you, this, this self, how the hell do you think it's going to do anything unless it's through, through movement? Like maybe until we get to the singularity point, but like movement is the way that we engage in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so whatever it is, we are uh, some form of movement. And that's not like, poetic movement or or movement culture and handstands and shit it's like no like you you reach for your cup of coffee and you ingest that coffee and muscular contractions carry that coffee down to your belly and and there's a a kind of chemical movement that's like breaking all this stuff down and like Mm. i mean shoot just the way that you are in the world is movement and i damn, I just read a really smart Leonardo da Vinci quote. Smarter guy than me, public figure. <laughs> 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 something like, you know, all life is through motion or something like that.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It just, it seems like it can sound very profound, but at the same time, it's like, that's just the obvious truth of
2: that. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
3: Hmm.
2: Oh, well, thank you so much for being with us today, Chandler. Um, it's been, it's been a, an incredible conversation. We, yeah. we really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, likewise. Thank you. <laughs> so this season, um, we've sort of had a, a loose theme of celebration. And we're just wondering for you, what will you be celebrating this year, either in your life or your teaching or just in general?
1: i am you know i think celebrating trusting my myself and this kind of organismic experience more and more Mm -hmm. um my big kind of plan for this year was to do this big hullabaloo of a world tour of workshops and and the more i sat with it the more i was like i something fundamental about me is rebelling against this and, and i don't think it's the right time or the right structure and so i Ended up kind of canceling half of the events,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, and as soon as I did that, it's like a weight lifted. Yeah. I... Um, <laughs> so that that feels like a, a, a one hell of a celebration. Is just like
3: yeah,
1: un, unfolding and learning to trust more and more of the the wholeness of myself.
0: Mm.
3: Hmm.
0: Yeah, which is kind of perfect because. Uh, I feel like that's what we do. Yeah. You know, through movement, it's like just to listen, to listen and to become more familiar with who you are as a whole, not just your body, but, but through your body, you know, and, and the idea of trusting, uh, you know, it piggybacks on so many things that we've talked about today. Um, trusting resistance, is necessary or, Mm -hmm. or being uncomfortable is necessary. And it's a part of, it's a part of what happens in the unfolding and also to just be present with the unfolding, Mm -hmm. you know, that it's not, um, this makes me think of how rigid we can be in our community about form, uh, and Mm -hmm. the rightness of a teaching style or form and, and, Yet that assumes that there is an end place to get to uh, mm-hmm. rather than like just be with whatever it is right now. Again, listen to what it needs to be. So I can really appreciate that from, from just the, the point of view that James and I and many of our colleagues and listeners, I think, are trying to work from. So thank yeah. you. Thank yeah. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, and I mean the, the other obvious celebration is that it is in fact Taco Tuesday. So <laughs> that's
2: I mean, is that's it the Taco gift. and Tequila Shit.
0: Tuesday? <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's awesome. So Chandler, if if, uh, if people are interested, how can they get in touch with you easily, readily, or how can they find your work?
1: Well, you listed many of my my alter egos. Uh-huh. Uh, there's Instagram at Chandler the Mover, uh, Facebook. I think it's just Chandler Stevens, um, Chandler Stevens.com is kind of the main site. Uh-huh. Um, and any and all those, I mean, you can shoot me an email, a message, whatever Chandler at Chandler com is the email. Um, really I, I enjoy conversations like this, so I'm mm. open to any and all great forms that it continues.
2: So.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe we'll have to go to Louisville next.
2: Oh yeah, no, for sure. Hell, this yeah. is oh, this is the be beginning awesome. of a friendship. I can wh- whether you want it or not, Chandler. We're gonna be friends.
0: <laughs> we're gonna be there. We're, we're gonna, gonna be there. We're Tuesday. gonna be
2: friends, Chandler. <laughs>
0: it's the ol- it's the only reason we do the podcast is to make yeah to make new friends. friends. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everybody's got to have their shit, right? Exactly. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: It worked. Oh, good. 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Chandler. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Um, awesome. Likewise,
1: I appreciate it. Thanks.
0: I mean, come on. You have to admit, it was pretty good. Just when we think it can't get much better, it does. Um, I think what were we talking about in the podcast overcoming entropy and the experience of relativity as things change? the expectation that we continue to get a little better and a little better incrementally. And I think that's what we're seeing here. So thanks for listening, everybody. So just a few house cleaning things before we share a bit about Momentum Fest with you. Of course, we want to always encourage you to send us out some love if you're digging what we're up to. And you can do that several ways. The first way is... Um, really the most important way the most impactful way is to write us a review on itunes and you can just do that so easily right now and we're just gonna leave it at that you know where to find us thinking thinking pilates podcast on facebook and you can now find us on spotify okay okay i'm done for now breathe deep and teach well